Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ultra and welcome back to the Talking Larry podcast. My name is Stuart McNamara and I'm here with my co-host and yours, Robert Cross. That's better. <laughs> Rob Cross here, as I, as I might prefer to be called by. How's everyone? How's, how's the week been, Stu? Uh, not the best week, not the worst week. Uh, a bit of trouble, but you know, we got through it all. We, we did. And um, we, we did you break international law this week, Stu? Not that I'm aware of. Good. Well, it's a good thing none of us broke international law, because of course if anyone did, that would be very bad. I've been a bit uh, down on the news, so I'm not entirely sure what he's referring to, but I'm sure I'm going to get the whole story later on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just the British government are saying they're going to break international law in terms of Brexit and the Good Friday Agreement. The British? They would never do such a thing. It's just, I just love, like, Theresa May going, our world will be worth nothing on the inter- international union. No one will believe us anymore. And we're just over here like, yeah, we've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> we never believed you to begin with. <laughs> Temporary security force in Northern Ireland, is it? Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. So, to start off uniquely Irish this week, I think we'll go through a couple of Irish loan words. Yeah, I, I suppose we, we we have our own dialect of English in this country. I suppose the, the technical name people use for this Hiberno sure. English or Irish English, but we incorporate a lot of Irish words in into when we, even when we speak English in, on a daily basis. Um, some of these are, are direct words from Irish into English. Sometimes we use... Irish word order or even kind of direct translations from Irish terms um, yeah. into it. And some of them have more obscure origins, but it's definitely, if you live here, you'll definitely come across it a couple of times. Yeah, but I think uh, the first set anyway is kind of more Irish words that maybe the English didn't have at the time. Yeah. And so they became the English words for everything. So the first one I have here on my list is the word brogue. Yeah, which is a shoe. Yes, I suppose. Of course. Um, if, you, any, if there's any wrestling fans, you might know Seamus. His uh, finisher is the bro kick. Yes. Uh, so obviously, we had a word for shoe. For some reason, the British didn't. Maybe they didn't wear shoes at the time. Who knows? But uh, we gave them the word, and uh, they stuck with it. Uh, yeah, we still use it in Irish, from what I remember in primary school. I didn't need to use the word in Irish for shoe for quite some time. But, but what about bro- when you're buying shoes in the Gwailtucht? It doesn't happen as much as you think, unfortunately. I, w- I would like to get better at speaking Irish. So you're saying say my Irish teacher lied to me all of those years? <laughs> Just like you're doing things like, I don't remember this happening. <laughs> it didn't happen the way that the, the role play said it would. <laughs> now the next word we have is clock. Oh. Uh, so let me just read down through here. Clock is then made into, it was made into Old High German, then into Flemish and then English. Right. So it had a a weird way around, but uh, I think it's because it meant bell. Yeah, a clock uh, is can be used as bell in Irish. Yeah, so I assume it, clocks having bells in it was such a big thing back in the day that it just kind of... Well, it, I suppose it would have been. You'd, you'd have known the time by the church bells ring at the Angelus at 6 o'clock, like we talked before, and then yeah. the bells at 12. So in a lot of towns and whatever, you'd there'd be like a... 
Think of like Big Ben, like you know, you have like your bong on the hour, yeah, like two bongs at two two o'clock or whatever. But what about uh, paying for Big Bang Ben's British Brexit? Oh, what is it? Um, I, I'm going to try and remember this. Oh, yeah. uh, being in a book for a Big Ben bong. It, 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 no, it's it's bang a bob for a Big Ben oh, bong. Somebody, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That was close, really. That's, I mean, like... ridiculous, Boris Johnson needs to, like, go back to, like, writing and try and go into poetry. I mean, like, he's practically the British Eminem. Yeah. (laughs) It's like top ten rappers Eminem's afraid to this. It's like like him and the major general in, like, (laughs) Pirates of Penzance. Uh, The next one, then, which, I mean... It's a fairly obvious one, but it's Colleen. Yeah, it's a, so like Colleen is the Irish word for girl. Yeah, and so then it became a name, which is where it's. Yeah, I mean that's a kind of a direct kind of loan word. I mean, I think you'd. I've heard like used kind of more specifically for like an Irish Colleen in kind of the. Oh a yeah, yeah. Or... At the same time, it is also a name that some people have. I wouldn't. Colleen really... Rooney is the only person I can think of. Wayne I think Rooney's it was a Colleen wife. in, uh, in yeah. my secondary school, so it's not uncommon. Yeah, I think less so kind of going forward. Yeah. Uh, so then we have the word galore. Really? Yeah, from yeah. Irish galore. Oh, that... See, I think this is kind of the point I was making earlier, where like we use these kind of loan words so much that it doesn't... You know, you, you don't kind of realise. And I, I suppose I, I've only kind of copped now that Stu has said it that... Oh, that is an Irish word, and it means yeah. the same thing. And I'm like, I say it the whole time, but is it because we grew up learning Irish from a very young age and in kind of a combination with English, and we don't think of it as weird because we knew both meanings kind of surreptitiously or something? I don't well, I mean, know. you know, as a friend of ours was talking to us yesterday about uh, bilingual kids, sometimes yeah. they have a bit of trouble differentiating the two when they grow up speaking two languages they don't know which words are from which language so i suppose it that's could true be similar to that and i think when you I, I suppose it's something that um i know a little bit about linguistics i think it's called code switching when you have like two languages in an area and you kind of switch between the two but yeah. even like use phrases from another you see it a lot with in india with like hindi speakers using english uh hindi kind of intermittently in a certain sense yeah. in particular if there's like a local language like gorjati or something like that right then we have keening which is a word that i'm not entirely familiar with is keening um a physical thing or are we thinking a keeling or something like that uh, keening it says it's lamenting or wailing Oh, yeah. And sorry. then it's from, uh, yeah. is it Queenham is the Irish? Yeah, Queen. I wail. Yeah, because like, uh, Queena is crying yeah, sure. in, in Irish. So it would be derived from like crying, wailing. Like You can kind of see the origin. Okay, so this one is a bit weird. Oh, God. And they have an explanation for why it might be Irish, but they're not sure because I would not have put this as an Irish word. I'm intrigued. Kabosh. Isn't to put the, uh, a kibosh on? Yeah, the I, I get the the cop. The, the the how is that Irish? That doesn't even sound like an Irish phonetic kind of thing. Kibosh. So it says it, the origins aren't clear. So I'm saying that it's a Yiddish word, which would I would have thought it might. I thought would have thought it sounds like Yiddish kind of something um, a Jew would say. But uh, proponents of the Irish root say that it comes from the Irish anchap vash. Anchap vash. Yeah, take a look there. Meaning the cap of death. Oh, that's a mushroom. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah. So, the, you know, the cap of death being the kibosh. I mean... I, do, I don't know if that, that sounds a bit... Sca- like, a, it is a... It's a type of mushroom or kind of fungus thing that, grow, that grows in the forest, like a death cap. It's, like, very poisonous. Well, yeah, in this, t- in this 
way it's saying that it's the, the black hat worn by judges when sentencing someone to death. Yeah, that's an older thing where the, when a judge was sending someone to death, like you know, they were in the wig and everything, yeah. they'd put a black kind of cap over the wig when they were sentencing someone to death. Or, fun fact, a gruesome form of torture called pitch capping. Oh, that's Which I only Irish assume thing. is pouring, burning pitch on someone. Yeah, it's, you know, Steve, we were talking about the British earlier and like lying and breaking international law, so you'd be surprised the Brits did this in Ireland. No. Uh, what pitch capping was, I mean, it was sometimes done in, in response to being a, re- a re- re- being a rebel against the British government, but I, I know it was used in some capacities where um, you, like, had, you know, your farmhouse and you were, like, renting it off of, like, a larger British right. landowner. Like, if you were, like, you know, the famine happened or whatever, oh, I can't pay the rent, they'd, like, destroy the house. And if occasionally they'd pitch cap, which was, like, getting pitch, which was, like, you know, this hot kind of sticky substance kind of like tar or something almost yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's the same thing i think um and like they just put it on your head and they'd like you know it would like burn the the hair off your head and burn lovely your scalp lads, lovely and, lads. and then obviously because it's gonna harden into like a gloop thing it's yeah, yeah it's very unpleasant i can imagine so then we have the word slew so like yeah. a, a slew of fine. something slew of toys or whatever coming from the word slew meaning a great number yeah, Shluari is like a crowd um, in, in Irish as well. So Shluari yeah. can be, mean like a lot of things in terms of lots of bits and bobs, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next one then, which I think is going to shock you. So you might need to sit down oh, for this Oh, good one. God. I mean, be careful. This this is an Irish word, just so you know. Whiskey. I have a feeling it is. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm very fond of whiskey. It comes from like uh, Ishkabaha, which yeah, means water, water of life, life, which it is in this country. Oh yeah, of course. It's the same with the Scottish origin is is, is the exact same. Um, because they you know Scottish Gaelic or Galga, they they speak it over there in the Highlands. Yeah, but spelt differently because we had to. Yeah, well, we uh, Scotch whiskey doesn't have an e. Um, Irish whiskey does. It's it's kind of as the way you do tell a whiskey apart. Um. I could talk a lot about whiskey stew, as you know. I'm sure I'm you fan, could. We might I, have to do it on one of these uniquely Irish segments at some point. Yeah, I know more about Scotch, ironically, than Irish whiskey, but I, I, I know a fair bit. It'd be fine. Um, I'd recommend someone's a future podcast. I suppose that the most famous kind of loan word that people associate with Ireland is actually like crack, you know, having the crack, which is one of those wonderful words we have, which there isn't really a direct translation. I was going to compare it to like a Gemuschlichkeit, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, in German, where it's like kind of a good feeling kind of thing. And you can sort of have the crack at the pub. It's like having a bit of fun, having a bit of banter, having, you know, having an enjoyable time. But that isn't an Irish loan word. Right. That is actually a loan word from Old English or Ooh. Middle English, I think. Um, so it's actually like a English language has changed substantially um, in, you know, several thousand years. Everything from spelling reforms like getting rid of certain letters like yoke and ash and all those things like the thorn to th sounds like this will have an Icelandic. Yeah. Even having like a massive vowel shift in the 17th century. So it's changed substantially. Uh, however, interesting, the Irish hasn't changed that much. You can still, well, the spelling did reform in the 1960s you can still understand irish like old irish um pretty pretty reasonably yeah, if you I mean, have a reasonable understanding of it of course we're, we're all taught to read ohm stones we so. are actually <laughs> <laughs> so a nice rock there with some lines on it we can read that easily yeah uh, so crack isn't an, an Irish word. It, it's become kind of a hiberno English word, if yeah. you will. That's been associated with Irishness, like crack, agus, keol. It's effectively a loan word to Irish from Old English, if you will, but it's not. But we use it better. Well, we understand how to use it, I think yeah. is the fair point. 
Um, I think like we talked about politics briefly. Like we the word, we use a word for our prime minister, Taoiseach, um, yeah. which you know means leader or chieftain. It would have been would have been the head of a tribe and tarnished as our deputy prime minister, meaning like tarnished. It would have been like the second in command of a tribe. We had a system of tarnishedry or tarnishedry, which was kind of how we elected our chieftains of tribes. Um, it would doll for our parliament, yeah. like means like assembly things like that. So. And we use these in these are the same in like the English forms as well. We don't like say prime minister in English and Taoiseach in Irish. We'd only use Taoiseach in both languages. Yeah. So we definitely try and ingrain Irish into certain official things. Like yeah, of course we have it all under the street signs and stuff. I suppose the last one I'll do just because it's a fun word is smithereens. Yeah, that sounds Irish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so obviously, uh, to explode into smithereens, uh, coming from the Irish smithereen. Yeah, Ian is often a modifier that you put onto Irish things, meaning kind of small. Yeah. So, like, you, you, if you, um, it can also mean female in certain contexts. Um, like, for example, like Patrick in Irish is Podrick, but like Patricia, which is the you know the yeah. diminutive form, would be Podrick Ian, and things like that. And you can say like you know if you if you have like a, if you're called Sean and you have a son called Sean, you could call him like Sean O, young Sean, but you could say like Sean Ian as well, meaning like little Sean. Yeah, of course, both like, are like kind we've of seen in one or two of the movies that we've watched. Exactly. I think I talked about that in The Quiet Man, didn't I? Yeah. Because, like I said, your man is like, he has a double diminutive. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. it was like, was it like Padre? Enog. Enog, yeah. So I was just like, he, Mike, Michael Ian. Yeah, he was just like, he'd be like Michael Jr. Jr. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was a very small man, so you kind of had to put the emphasis on it. He was. He was a likable character. That was a great character. <laughs> now we'll get into the bulk of the show. So... Bear with us, we're going to try something a little different today. We're going to be reviewing British films and actually doing complete 180. And we're actually about... British the whole time. No, of course not. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to do kind of a, a little bit of a report thing. We might continue it on if it goes well. Just on Irish people that are significant throughout history, Irish events, and uh, maybe Irish places and stuff where certain things happened. So we're going to try this one. And uh, to start with, I know, Rob, you're uh, a big fan of history. Yep. And I couldn't actually find the numbers on this, but would you know how many times have people tried to steal the British crown jewels? Ooh, um, I'm, well, uh, funnily enough, Stu, um, myself and the girlfriend are watching the film Johnny English at the weekend, oh. where the crown jewels going missing is part of the plot line. Yeah, uh, I think there are a few movies where that does happen. Yeah, but I, I think, as I'd like to clarify to our listeners, Johnny English is, in fact, not a documentary. It is, it is a, it, it, it's actually like unfortunately there's no Irish connection because I'd love to review I think it wouldn't be a bad film <laughs> to review somehow but, Rowan Atkinson is Irish come on we have to find it I think he he, he might have some Irish in him I, I don't know um, you'd be surprised but I in real life um, well let me kind of think so I know they're kind of generally kept in the Tower of London yes. is, is sort of what they I, I don't know how long they've always been and Generally, they're only really taken out for coronations, and they don't happen as often as they used to now. Yeah, since like 19, 19, 1953 was the last <laughs> one, and Lizzie is still going strong. Oh yeah, you know I don't think there's any, there's no fear of her. Um, poor Charlie still waiting. Always, always the bridesmaid, then for the bride. So I, ugh, I could, I, I know they've stolen other bits that weren't the crown jewels, like they stole, stole the sword, the stone of Scone. A bunch of Scottish students did it and buried in the field after a broken half. That's another story for another day. But uh, I maybe once in like kind of slightly after medieval times, I think. 
Right. Well, in any case, uh, <laughs> I couldn't actually find any data on how many times it's been attempted stolen. Right. But the most successful and famous version uh, was done by a man named Thomas Blood. Ooh. So he's the only man to ever successfully steal the crown jewels. Good man. Uh, with a caveat, which we'll find out near the end. Uh, so Blood was actually born in 1618 in County Clare. Ooh, what part of Clare? Uh, no information. Oh, but, <laughs> that's look, like, it, it was a long time ago. They didn't have a <laughs> lot of... Uh, in, in his house, probably. His parents' house. I'm trying to think, do I know any bloods in County Clare? Because you know, we, we're recording this like about, yeah, about 500 metres from the border with Clare. Yeah, he might have um, been born right there. He might have been born in the middle of the River Shannon. <laughs> you <laughs> never know. St. Patrick's Bed, yeah. That's cool. So his father was also Thomas. Uh, and he was a blacksmith and landowner. Uh, I have no information about the mother either. And there's very little about any siblings that he had. Yeah. Which is strange, but suffice it to say there were probably many of them. As was the style at the time. As was the style, exactly. <laughs> uh, his grandfather was Captain Edward Blood of Killing Boy, originally from Derbyshire in England. He became an MP for Ennis when he moved to Ireland. <laughs> Dar- as... Pronounced Derbyshire, sorry. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, sorry. English place names are like people give out about Irish place names, and it just like was like, oh, it's like it's clock, times clock Jordan actually, or like it's Balanana, Balina, or something, or like Manila, and, I'm, and then like you get to like ah, lovely Chiswick. Oh, it's Chiswick. Oh, Newham, Newham. Look, I mean, the worst thing ever <laughs> is Worcester stuff. Oh, Which Jesus. I have already just fucked up, even though I'm n- normally able to say it properly. I always say Worcester sauce. <laughs> I, know, I yeah. don't know if that's the. I don't even know if that's correct anymore. <laughs> It can't be. There's so many parts of that word that don't make sense in the sentence. So people like give out about like the French language for like being like, oh, you don't pronounce like au revoir. How the hell is that? What you pronounce what's written yeah. there? My girlfriend's going to kill me. She speaks fluent French, but you know, and I'm just like, but like English place names, some of them are worse. Like my favorite is like Loughborough. You've yeah. seen that spelled, haven't you? Oh, I think you L- showed it to me. L-O-U-G-H-B-O- or O U G H. Um, like the comedian Dave Gorman has a famous thing. Like someone asked him, it was outside Loughborough University. Like an American asked him, "Excuse me, sir, how do you pronounce this word?" And he told him it was pronounced Lowbrow, so Lowbrow University, <laughs> which I think <laughs> Look, is just, which is enough. brilliant. I, I mean, considering if you've seen those memes of uh, the French Google Translate, and you put in a word like street, and it's like rue, and then you put in uh, what a term for like red or pink or something, and it's also pretty. It's spelt almost yeah. the same. And then you get the auto translate to write out the words like roo, 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 and it actually makes a sentence. But all they're doing is repeating the word "roo," but it's spelled differently, so it's pronounced very slightly differently. So what you're saying is Richard Nixon was actually speaking French the whole time? Possibly, oh. possibly he was. <laughs> anyway, he grew up mostly in Meath and went to Lancashire, England, for schooling. Oh, you poor man, growing up in bloody Meath. Yeah, <laughs> but I think his father owned land there, so it was kind of very handy. Yeah. Uh, at the age of 20, he married Maria Holcroft, daughter of John Holcroft, who was a member of the House of Commons. Ooh, very fancy. Uh, which, fun fact, my grandfather always called the Jacks. Okay. Anytime he's like, oh, I must use the House of Commons. And it's only in later life that I realized that that must be a really old joke, where it's like, House of Commons, that's where you go for a piss. Ah, uh, yeah. I've never heard that before, but... Great man, great yeah, man. I, I, I like Commons. House of Commons, I love that. Yeah. Um, Better than going to the House of Lords, that a fancier toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
no, no, that's, that's something completely different. Uh, <laughs> Solid gold. <laughs> Holcroft's other daughter, Lara, later dropped the hall from her, na- her surname and went into tomb raiding. <laughs> that's just a little joke I put in there. Not actually true, but I wish it was. She was arrested after she locked her butler in the fridge. And <laughs> <laughs> tried to shoot him uh, back in the good old days. So when the first English Civil War started in 1642, in which people were unsatisfied with the people who held political power, uh, wanting Charles I to be above Parliament, yeah. while others wanted constitutional let's, monarchy. Let's not get into the, the English Civil War, Stu. It's um, not getting too much, too into, much it. Just, into it. Just like, yeah. That's where like his career started, so I have to kind of give... yeah. Uh, some people wanted uh, the king to be above parliament. Mm-hmm. Other people wanted a constitutional monarchy where it was kind of a little what, more balanced. What they have now, basically. Yeah, exactly. So he began as a royalist fighting for King Charles. Mm-hmm. But later, uh, when King Charles started siding with uh, Catholics, I believe, yeah. he switched sides. Came a Cromwellian uh, soldier. A roundhead is what yes. they were called. And uh, he might have actually possibly been a spy at the time. Ooh, interesting. Which uh, comes into his skill sets later on. So, as payment for his efforts, he was given land in Ireland, and he became Justice of the Peace. Ooh. So, you know, it's kind of a cushy title. It's kind of like, like, like a lay judge sort of thing. Like, you'd, you'd kind of go around villages in a certain area, and if, if there was, like, a dispute over land or something, yeah. you'd be like, I'll sort this, because, like, they had uh, quarterly sessions in court, which basically, oh, there will be a, a a judge will come to this courtroom every quarter, like the spring and the autumn and the summer, and he'll sort out any big issues, as opposed to, like, the special ones up in Dublin or somewhere larger. Sure. yeah. We just kind of go around and be like, anyone need any special documents done or anything like that? We still have them in a certain capacity in this country, but they're not, it's less fancy. Ooh. We call them peace commissioners now, PC. Yeah. When he was a roundhead, he actually became a captain. Ooh. But uh, once he moved back, or once he got his land in Ireland, he decided to start calling himself Colonel for no reason. Well, I just mean, because he could. Yeah, I, I suppose it's just like, oh yeah, but you see, in Irish it means Colonel. All oh, right. Yeah, something like that, because <laughs> man's a lunatic, but it's fine. Why not? Uh huh. The monarchy returned to power in 1660, and so he lost all of his land and was in financial ruin. Yep. He's lucky, you know. he's lucky he didn't get killed, but that was kind of the Charles' son. It was also called Charles. Charles yeah. II uh, was the king, and he was like, all right, I'll come. Like They were like, okay, this whole Cromwell thing didn't really work out. You can be king again. And he was like, fine, and we're sorry about that. And he's like, all right, I'll give you some concessions when it comes to not like dissolving parliament and like ruling on my own for like years at a time yeah um and as long as you accept me as king and like pardon my father and everything else and he's like and you're not going to come after okay i won't come after most of you apart from specifically the people that executed my father they call them the regicides yeah that's fair and so like they were up like they they were hung drawn and quartered and including one should be including cromwell now the Cromwell was dead at this point as was his son as was henry Ayrton, who was the chief thing and his son-in-law who died in limerick actually yeah of the uh typhoid i think which is called in irish the scourge of cromwell i can imagine why so they dug them up and put them on trial yeah and then they chopped their heads off and they were put on like the things yeah and then you know drawing and quartering which is also fun yeah, I mean, there's a there's a great story about Cromwell's head actually, where it ends up. <laughs> so, oh, isn't it buried in like Oxford or some shit? No, you see, it actually it was ended up in a bunch of places. It, uh, basically, a circus like provider had it in America at one point, and he nice. was like, you, like his, "Pay me, pay me a dollar." You can see his head because the head was like preserved or something, and it ended up back in England, and eventually it was like given to the University of Warwick because he was from Warwickshire, and they. 
buried it in a somewhere in near the chapel all oh, right okay, so yeah. basically the way it works is that when you're the professor of english or history i can't remember which one in the university of warwick you're basically told right it's roughly here don't tell anyone else so there's only one person in the university who knows where it's buried because surely I, there's a chance that at some point that guy's going to die before he tells the next guy yeah well i think i i get the impression pretty maybe more than one person actually knows where roughly where it is because i'm pretty sure if it got out like a bunch of irish fellas with shovels would turn up there you know? i don't see why we I just don't. don't burn the entire university to the ground it's just like ireland we're just like well we haven't put him on trial yet if he can have, <laughs> like if he can if he can have one uh you know trial where he's dead we can have another one look michael d higgins needs a cup for his soup and i think cromwell's skull would be just fine I, I would just love I always had this idea for like a comedy sketch where like we, we the Irish government like get back his skull and they put it on trial for like genocide yeah. and like they have they pay like a guy behind like I did it and I do it again so, <laughs> and, like, and then like and then like someone like they they have like trains he picks up the skull and he says I'm gonna go get the jewelry now and like ah, and they tap it <laughs> <laughs> so one of those green morph suits so that he could be edited out later that would be great <laughs> right. Back to the story. So he wasn't exactly happy uh, with losing all of his land and money, as you can imagine. <laughs> of course. And so he decided, as you do, the best way to sort that out was a bit of kidnapping. As as one does. Of course. I mean, you know, you lose something, you kidnap something. It makes perfect sense. Uh, he planned with other Cromwellians to storm Dublin Castle, which, as we've uh, talked about before, was the centre of British control in Ireland. Yep. Uh, the idea was to capture John Butler, the first Duke of Ormond and Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, and hold him for ransom. That was, as we mentioned the Michael Collins, that was like yeah. the, the Viceroy of Ireland, the Governor-General, basically the King's personal representative. Yeah, was that was the guy who was handing over to Collins in it? Yeah, not, it was the, that the office. Hat. The big hat, that was Lord Lieutenant. Right. Um, yeah, and so, as we've just said, that uh, title existed until 1922, so you know this is back in like the 1660s, so it's been around for a very long time. I think it was about... Uh... It was in the 1500s, it said that it came into effect yeah now i'm trying to think because we were a papal lordship at first then henry the eighth upgraded us to a kingdom because he fell out with the pope over you know divorce and stuff and many well there were many other reasons why but we won't go into them now but um there effectively was a lord lieutenant in one capacity or another but it went from being the king of england held it as a papal possession because the pope gave him permission to like do that versus oh i'm just king of ireland now as they're wont to do Mm mm-hmm Uh, The plan went to shit as they were sneaking into Dublin Castle in disguise. Most of Blood's compatriots were captured, but he managed to escape dressed as a Quaker and later a priest. He didn't uh, escape dressed as a prostitute like her in our last Unfortunately not. He didn't have the genius idea of dressing up as a lady of the night. Next time, maybe. We can hope. Uh, He tried to free them, but couldn't. So he escaped off to Holland as there was now a price on his head in England. Yeah, a load of the people that um, supported Cromwell did end up there. Yeah. Hmm. I made a few friends over in Holland at the time. Uh, but then his brother, some reports say brother, some say brother-in-law. It's very confusing because obviously this is a long time ago and mm-hmm. reports are not accurate at times. Uh, Lackey, was, who was a co-conspirator, had been captured as part of the escape attempt. Uh, but two men dressed as women came uh, to try to bust him out. Uh However, he was recaptured and brought to the gallows. No, because, oh, know, yay. He was part of trying to storm Dublin Castle, so you'd expect it. While there, a rumour spread that blood was coming, and everyone, including the hangman, fled the scene. That's how much of a, a personality he was. They were so af- afraid of him that the hangman 
fled the hanging. Well, your man's just standing there with a hood on on him and like the rope around his neck, and everyone scattered. It's like, can I come down now? (laughs) (laughs) Just like, what's going on? It's like it's almost a scene out of a movie where someone's blindfolded and then like a fucking T Rex or something comes in. You're like, I can't. What what's happening? (laughs) Just left there. I think I'll have to do it again. The blindfold fell off. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, he was still executed for high treason for his involvement. Oh, that's a shame. Blood snuck back into England under assumed names and in 1667 tried to rescue his good friend, Captain Mason, uh, who was being moved to York at the time. The lookout left his post while they were watching on the road for the, the company to move along or to move down. Uh, and so the group assumed that they'd missed their chance. They decided, rather than following down the road to see if they could catch up with them, They were going to go for lunch. (laughs) Of course. While they were getting their meal at a tavern, they noticed the guards and Mason outside. And so a bloody shootout occurred. (laughs) (laughs) You know, absolute fucking luck. You're just like, we're going to have our lunch here. It's like, oh, there's the guy that we missed. It's like us having a pint. That's himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, we're supposed to rescue him, aren't we? Blood himself was injured in the battle, but they were successful and Mason uh, was saved. Some of the government men who were transporting him uh, had been killed, though, and so there was now a price of £500 on Blood's head. Ooh. Which, you know... That's a lot of money. 1660 money. Whew, that's like a couple of years worth of working in the, the fields or whatever. Mm. He then took the name Thomas Ab- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...and hid out in Kent for a while. Uh, blood was so infamous and feared by this point that some people were actually blaming him for the Great Fire of London. <laughs> It's like, that's how bad he was. Like, I think I saw him in London that time we had a big fire. Probably him then. Yeah. I mean, that did destroy the city. Well, that was because it was mostly wooden. Everything was close together. And, you know, it's just the way things happened. But very people actually died. It just destroyed the city and they were able to rebuild it then. And unfortunately, it was a baker who... Yep. Unfortunately. All that flour. He did bury his cheese, though. Good. I mean, save the cheese. I mean... The French would be in, in national mourning if the cheese. I were. mean, par- it was Parmesan. So it was like it was like really, really expensive. So, oh, well, I mean, you yeah, can understand that. Uh, in 1670, then he moved to London under the name. And I'm going to try this, but you could read it after Alof. That's literally the spelling A Y L O W E. I think it's probably like a French thing or something. I don't. Could be. I have no idea. A A O F. Alof. Something like that. Laffy. Uh, and while there, he practiced as an apothecary and doctor. So he had no medical knowledge. So he just like, yeah, I'm a doctor. But 
You know, I suppose at the time it wasn't. You know, it was like, it's like you have a mallet and a sharp knife. Yes, you're a doctor, sir. It, it, it's just like I can see from your face that you have too much blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get rid of some a bit of leeching. Chop off a leg. You'll be fine. Some cocaine there to keep you happy. Oh, they didn't. I discovered that. Yeah, that that's the the 19th century stuff. Opium, then whatever they had. I don't know. No, that not yet. I mean, they, they hadn't really. Damn it! Did they even have any drugs back then, Rob? How did they have any fun? Well, they mostly alcohol. I ah, mean, sure. they, like this, like like we talked. I think I might have mentioned this in the podcast before. Like when they introduced things into the the UK, there's a period called the Great Binge. It's like the late Victorian era up to about right before World War One. Yeah, I know there was like the gin riots. Yeah, they basically had a other people call it the gin epidemic. When yeah. gin was introduced it into the UK, they were so shocked by it that like they this caused rioting it caused people dying of alcoholism um my favorite is in like portsmouth where they had to deploy the royal navy after three days of, of uh, violence <laughs> that's the level it got in portsmouth the mayor was like i need help it's like we're in portsmouth it's like oh we, we could send in three ships if you want. <laughs> that just sounds like a good weekend in ireland i mean come it on <laughs> yeah so um it and they were like drugs everywhere like if you had a sore throat here's some heroin um, yeah. Yeah, like you know co- times, cocaine cough drops um, hey, look if it's in the coca-cola you could send off like a hamper to like officers on the front at the very start of world war one and it had like you know iodine cocaine heroin and like they have all the the needles in there and everything so the whole time he was pretending to be a doctor he was studying the movements of the duke of ormond on the 6th of december uh, 1670 blood with a group of men attacked the earl as he traveled to saint james's street strapped him to a horse rode through Piccadilly. Very good. The plan was to get the Earl to Tyburn where he would be hung. Uh, along the journey, they had pinned the reasons for wanting him dead to his chest. It's pretty badass. I know, yeah. It's like, what is it, uh, Luther and his 99... 95 thesis. 95 thesis. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, we're going to do that, but we're going to do it on your fucking chest, you dickhead. <laughs> I, think, I think Luther maybe would have made his point a little clearer if he did it to the Pope's face or something like that. That would have been great. I would have watched that. He's like, Mr. Luther, if you continue, I'm going to have to excommunicate you. (laughs) (laughs) One more. So, yeah, Tyburn Hill is where they did hang people in London. It was famous, like, going up the the Tyburn, you know, meant you're not coming back, basically. uh, Yeah, I really wanted it to be quite public. Yeah. Uh, A servant of the Dukes gave chase and was able to free him, and they both escaped. Even though uh, the Earl was actually, like, tied to the horse. (laughs) That's wonderful. Like they somehow, like that's just how bad he is. Sometimes it's like he's all of these great plans, and yeah. then just goes to shit in the actual, the process of doing it. Uh, since the plot had been incredibly secret, and no one was captured, blood was never fingered for the attempt. <laughs> <laughs> we Cut. have quite juvenile humor, but that was funny, Cut and that. it's it's a good word. <laughs> Cut it, that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a respectable podcast. No, it's really not. Uh, now we get to his greatest plot yet. Stealing the crown jewels of England. So first, uh, we'll go through a bit about the actual jewels themselves. Uh, They are a collection of ceremonial objects worn during the coronation of a king or queen. They are the only set still in use in Europe, as all others have secular coronations now. Well, they don't even have coronations anymore. It's specifically... 
an enthronement or a noblement. It, it's uh, they, they, the coronation is really of having the crown placed on your head, and it's specifically a religious thing. It's the reason why monarchs wear crowns is to kind of uh, it's like you know the halo of an angel. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. It's so like you know you see like the halo, the angels have like the halo around their head. It's to represent that. So like it's a crown of gold that right. represents that. And there's different ones across Europe. Like yeah, the famous uh, the Iron Crown, which had like apparently one of the nails of on the true cross that Christ oh, like, right, in, yeah, in the actual course. crown and. Um, the famous uh, crown of St. Stephen in Hungary, which was interesting because um, when you became king of Hungary, and at a different point, other monarchs outside of Hungary were... stopped being Hungary. Yeah, sure. (laughs) But it was the crown itself held the lands of Hungary, not the monarch. Interesting. So you weren't... You didn't control all of the land in Hungary until you actually had the crown put on you. It's actually a very interesting crown. Like the, there's a cross on top of it that's actually crooked, and it, it's not really gold, but it has like all of these kind of pic, like painted certain kind of embroidered pictures about like Christ and everything going around it. Look it up; it's quite right. it's kind of interesting. So but basically, the UK the is crown. the last one to still be done at the moment. So what you're yeah. saying is that they're blaming the crown for the the increases in rent. It's like that fucking crown asking for more money again. It's not the king's fault. He only wears the crown. It's like I can't I I, I can't do anything. The crown the crown is in charge. What's it a uh, Heavy is the crown that wears the king. Yeah. I don't know how that, that phrase would work in backwards. I yeah, something, <laughs> something like that. Um, but no, you, you are true, Stu. They, they well potentially we haven't because they haven't had a coronation in such a long time. It's yeah. whenever if the queen dies at this point, yeah. I think we should probably say. Um, it's unclear. They'll probably do something quite grand and fancy, but I think it might be kind of phased out a bit. Like yeah. if you look at there's a lot of new monarchs that went in in Europe in the last kind of 10 years you, you always people were starting like finally be like I'm a bit old I'm probably going to abdicate in favour of like my younger children yeah which is the fairer way to do it when you're yeah so they don't redo the coronations like the, the, like the king of Spain and Belgium and the Netherlands um, they didn't you know have like the crown placed on their head by a bishop or anything like that or the pope in some cases with catholic monarchs so that's um it's really only the english that do it because you know the, the, the king or queen of england or united kingdom sorry um is the correct term is also the supreme governor of the church of yeah. england and so they have a, there are religious roles it's probably the best collection anyway so they might as well so uh the oldest item in the collection is actually from the 12th century hmm. is that the sort of St. Edward? I thought it was... I, I, I don't have it written down, but I think it was a spoon of some kind. Yeah, there's bits that... They actually have, like, about three crowns, I think. There is... I have the list here, so I'll oh, actually yeah. go through it. There's 142 objects. Yeah, there's quite, the crown there's quite a few of them. So there's 35 pieces of secular plate. Yep. I assume armour of some kind. It is, yeah, yeah. 31 pieces of altar plate. Okay. 16 trumpets. Yep. 13 maces. That's about right. Seven sovereign crowns. Yep. Six consort crowns for the old consorts. So hey. Yep. <laughs> because you know, you might need you might have six consorts, you know, you want to rest on Sunday. <laughs> well, there's different ones. I mean, I know they have like uh, there's an imperial crown that I think the, was one the queen was actually crowned with and there's like an older smaller kind of version so they 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 can use different yeah. ones and there's different ones like for women and men and whatever and you know, yeah, sure. If you're the Queen's father, George the Sixth, his wife was the Queen Mother, also Queen Elizabeth. She was crowned with him, but like Prince Philip wasn't crowned when the the Queen was. It doesn't work that way. Oh yeah, of course. In that in that kind of sense. So but then there, there are go. six swords, six scepters. Yep. Say that with a lisp. 
six scepters. Three robes, three yep. rings, mm-hmm. three pieces of baptismal plate. Yep. Three Prince of Wales coronet. Yep. Two orbs. Of course. Two pairs of armils. I don't know what that is. I have no idea either. Yep. I should have checked. I assume that's like, is that like leg kind of stuff, is it? Or? It has the word arm in it, so. I don't know, maybe it is. Maybe it's like for the, for a chair. I was thinking it's like armor or something, but uh, for like legs, I yeah. don't know. One pair of spurs. Yes. One ampulla. Okay. One spoon. Mm-hmm. A walking stick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And an armlet. And a mond. And uh, while reading that out, I realized that this is uh, Lizzie's version of uh, the, the 12 Days Christmas. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ. Good luck doing that. Could you imagine on the 35th day of Christmas, I got 35 pieces of secular plate. <laughs> All 35 the way down. pieces of secular plate. 34. Because <laughs> she can. So yeah, it's a huge collection. Uh, all in all, there are 23,578 stones of various kinds on the the pieces, yep, there are. which is insane. These include uh, the Cullinan Diamond, which is the largest clear-cut diamond in the world. I believe that's on the Imperial Crown, isn't it? I couldn't tell you. Yep. It is 503 carats and weighs 100 grams. That's that's pretty pretty big. Yeah, I'd that, say that's worth... bludgeoning diamond level there. You could kill someone with that diamond. Yeah, that'd probably worth a few bob down the bookie. Yeah, well, I, I actually have it a bit about the, the prices later on. Uh, at a coronation, the monarch is anointed using holy oil poured from an ampulla, so there's what that one is, uh, into the spoon, uh, invested with robes and ornaments, and crowned with St. Edward's crown. Afterwards, it is exchanged for the lighter imperial state crown, yep. which is also usually worn at state openings parliament yep. held in the Tower of London. The jewels are regarded as priceless. I think the the stone, the, the Colin stone itself, might be worth £400 million pounds right. or something like that. It's ridiculous. I mean, besides the fact that obviously these are all owned and are the crown jewels of England, and therefore you cannot put a single price on any of them. Well, I mean, the thing—the thing about it is, I suppose, where the, the queen is like is the boss. Like it's her country, yeah. her land, and you are subjects to her. Also, unlike some other. If monarchies. you were to buy them, you'd be buying them with pictures of her. Yes, yeah, that, that's. <laughs> well, you see, that's the kind of thing because theoretically, the, the queen could just walk up to like the Bank of England and be like, "I'd like to withdraw all of it, please." I mean, it's like who's going to stop her? It's, <laughs> it's just like. Who are you? I'm the governor of the Bank of England. All right, I'm in charge now. Get she's, just, she's just there getting a portrait taken. And so, you know, they're painting her away. And now if you could just put the number one billion in the top left corner, please. And then the pound sign before. <laughs> this is my new currency. Well, I'm pretty sure. Would she even need to do that? I, I think like just for, with how like my knowledge of English law and stuff, I'm pretty sure she just write down like a note. I owe you one billion pounds. I'm the queen. Here yeah. you go. I'll I'll take this house off you then. Yeah, and then she could probably you know uh, absolve her of her own debt. I presume. I presume she could. I mean, I think a le- <laughs> a le- like a letter off the Queen saying discharge you from your debt would probably be yeah. fair enough. She just discharges herself. It's perfect. Right back to the plan. <laughs> the plan to steal the crown jewels went ahead in 1671. Blood had visited the Tower of London many times to view the jewels and learn the security arrangements of the guards. He also tried his best to become friends with the master of the jewel house, Talbot Edwards. So he started by having a female compatriot acting as his wife go with him to the jewels. Uh, and while there, she pretended to fall ill 
and started begging Talbot for help. So Talbot's actual, like, where he lived, his living quarters were really close by. Okay. So they were brought there, and of course they were a little bit pally, like his wife was there and yep. everything. So they were chatting away uh, while she was getting... Uh, I think they had, like, some liquor for her just to <laughs> settle her stomach. You know, as all things should be, you're sick, alcohol. Well, I mean, he's probably going, oh, Mr. Blood, you are a doctor. A doctor. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I'm uh, pretty sure know. he's probably dressed as a priest at this time. All right, he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, what fixes that? A bit of brandy. Oh, yeah. I got some back in the house. Beautiful. As we all know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the next time they returned to kind of thank them for that, uh, they brought uh, gifts at times, and so they kind of kept returning to see Talbot and his wife and kind of ingratiate themselves uh, with gifts. I think it was gloves at one point, silk gloves for the, the wife and stuff. And uh, at one point, they went so far as to promise the marriage of his imaginary nephew to Talbot's daughter <laughs> just to ingratiate themselves even more. It's I'll like, go get him now. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a perfect idea. It's like, oh, I have a nephew and he's looking for a wife and you have a daughter there. Like, we'll be best friends and we'll marry them off. Perfect. So on the 9th of May... 1671 their plan went into action so asking talbot if he and his friends including the imaginary nephew could see the jewels talbot agreed they brought concealed blades daggers and pistols for the heist upon entering the jewel room a cloak was thrown over poor talbot that he was hit in the head with a mallet stabbed and tied up and gagged and uh, just so you know, this man is 77. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, you know, not the nicest thing to do to the poor old bastard, but they did it. Uh, I think the the whole them going in to see the jewels was just kind of a side hustle that he had that no one really knew about. Yeah. I'm not sure if he was allowed to let people in, but he was like taking a few coppers off them and uh, letting them in to see. Yeah, so jewels. I was thinking that because I, I don't think it's quite like you can go view some of them now and stuff. Yeah, I course. don't think it was quite back then because like the, these would have been like, oh, these are like holy objects and stuff. And like they, they might be worried. There might be some um, Cromwell supporters or the like kind of lurking around there. Yeah. It might disrupt things. So, so I can't imagine it was, you know, the king was like, <laughs> knew about this. Yeah, he needs more money for some reason, so he's charging a couple of pence to to see his own jewels. Um, actually, he was that was actually yeah, I know. <laughs> very <laughs> more about that. It's a very important point that you know the reasons for the civil war was because like the king King Carver kept suspending Parliament, but he needed Parliament to raise taxes. Yeah, and that didn't work, so it ended up with like when he brought back Parliament, oh, I need you to pass these taxes so I have money to, you know, run the country and stuff. Yeah. Because uh, there, there weren't really prime ministers and stuff at the time. There wasn't right. really like a government in in a sense. And they were like, all right, we're going to debate though about doing other things that you don't like and not allowing like religious freedom and things, anti-Catholic stuff. And he's like, uh, there's all of you again. And he tried passing a tax, like that thing that looked like a tax and basically was a tax. He said, oh no, it's not a tax. It's a it's a royal prerogative thing because it involved boats. Yeah, of course. I mean, yep. He needs more boats. They removed the metal bars protecting the jewels. Blood flattened the crown so that he could hide it under his coat <laughs> because it wouldn't fit into the bag that he brought. Oh, of course. So the mallet That's that wonderful. he used to, to, to whack Talbot, he just tapped down the, ha- the, the, the hat or the crown, I should say, and uh, stuffed it into his coat. Jesus. Uh, the scepter was cut in two oh, to fit into the bag. And the last man stuffed various pieces down his pants. <laughs> As you do. Uh, Don't forget the baptismal font. <laughs> <laughs> Everything including the baptismal sink. So during the escape, Talbot continued to struggle against his bonds. 
and got loose enough to, to sound the alarm shouting treason, murder, the crown is stolen. And by sheer bad luck, Talbot's son had been returning from overseas that exact day and kind of stumbled in upon them as uh, they were making their escape. And so he also helped to, to raise the alarm. And so you're going to say help, help blood. Just like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm one of your, 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 your father's mates. Oh, you're the doctor priest. Was like, ah, exactly. Help me lift these out there. It's like, I'm doing some uh, laundry for your father. Right, where is he? He's like, oh, 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 oh. I don't know. I haven't seen him in ages. Rob, obviously what you do is you say that the thieves are around. We're trying to get the, the jewels to safety. Give us a hand. <laughs> I could tell a story involving one of our friends. Thing, but I won't. <laughs> that might be where I'm getting that from. So a chase on horseback ensued. Uh, with cries of alarm being called all over. Blood and his men, the clever bastards that they were, joined the shouting to confuse the guards. They went that <laughs> way. Oh, yeah, I saw them. So they're literally shouting the same thing the guards are. They were like, where are the guys who stole it? <laughs> it's like, like painting your car to look like a guard of car and driving away. <laughs> it's like, I don't know where they are. They're dressed up as guards. Stop them. <laughs> <laughs> they were pulling off over each other guards. Uh, they dropped the sector and continued their escape, just by accident, of course. Uh, they wounded one of the guards, shooting at him from one of the gates, and the other was paralysed by fear and didn't fire a shot. Wonderful. Unfortunately, they were captured before reaching the Iron Gate, which I assume is the main gate mm -hmm. that they would have needed to escape through. Uh, Blood continued to struggle with his captors, eventually giving up and saying, It was a gallant attempt, however unsuccessful, it was for a crown. So during the interrogations, Blood refused to speak to anyone but the king himself, and so was brought before King Charles. So it was been like in a shit mood. It's like, <laughs> what the hell did you do to my crown, mate? <laughs> you say that, but uh, no one is sure what went on in this meeting. But rather than being hung for any of his crimes, which there were many, I mean, he was, as I said, people were saying that he was the one who started the Great Fire of London. Yeah. People actually believed that. It's like. We have you for a lot of other shit too. You've killed some people, you've kidnapped some people, you've tried to kidnap others. Uh, he was just give, let go. He was a free man. <laughs> they gave him nothing. Beyond giving him nothing, they actually gave him land in Ireland oh, and a pension of £500 a year. Like, I don't know what he said to the kings too, but he must have had like a golden tongue or something. Like. <laughs> something like that. It, uh, it's theorised that Blood was so charismatic and charming that he was able to gain the king's favour in their brief meeting. The king had an affinity for scoundrels and may have been amused that Blood thought the crown jewels only worth £6,000. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. I think he had valued them himself at like £100,000. Yeah. It's just like, 6000 you were going to sell this for? I'm going to lowball the king. <laughs> it's, it's like... Look, I have the Mona Lisa in, in, in the back there. I'll give it to you for a tenner. This is like you know, when, when there's like those scams in New York where it's like, oh, I can sell you the Brooklyn Bridge yeah, kind yeah. of thing for like a million dollars. Yeah, but it's clearly worth more than that. Uh, other theories say that the king was in fear of rebellion and killing blood may become a catalyst. Obviously, with his um, lack of funds, he couldn't afford another rebellion and uh, killing blood would cause that. Or that Blood might have actually been a spy for Charles in earlier years, and so this was kind of a reward. Okay. There's also another theory that the king actually asked him to steal... Like, to the test jewels. out the... No, 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 not to test them out, to sell them, so that the king could get some cash. On the sly, all right, yeah. fair enough. Which is another brilliant... Like, it. it it's annoying that there's no way of knowing what actually happened in there, yeah. but I like that one where it's like, the king's like, 
look blood will you uh will you steal my my crown there and a few other bits and sell, sell it on, sell it on the fly you know what i mean like <laughs> i need another boat and i don't have the cash <laughs> i don't want to go back to parliament again they keep saying about oh your brother's a catholic and he can't be your heir and like shut up yeah <laughs> so he later became a, a big figure within london society as an advocate in claims for suitors to the crown Ooh. in john wilmot the, the second earl of rochester's history of insipids he wrote of blood Blood that wears treason in his face, villain complete in parson's gown, how much he is at court in grace for stealing Ormond and the crown. Since loyalty does no man good, let's steal the king and outdo blood. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, how do we outdo this guy who got so much for doing something really bad? Like, Gotta steal the king himself. That's wonderful. Uh, he had many arguments later with the Duke of Buckingham, which escalated until the Duke sued Blood for insulting remarks, that being saying that he was kind of a, in a, an illicit relationship with a, a young girl. Pretty sure he was. Could have been, uh, but he sued and won for him t- calling him that anyway. So the King's Bench fined Blood £10,000, which is a lot. That is a lot. Uh, and Blood never paid it. Blood fell into a coma in August of 1680 and died two days later on the 24th of August at his home in Westminster. He was buried at St. Margaret's Church on the grounds of Westminster Abbey, but such was his reputation for trickery, people believed that he may have faked his own death (laughs) to get out of paying his debts. Genius. Because of that, he was exhumed, and it was confirmed that it was indeed blood buried there because he had oversized thumbs. (laughs) Like, they, they, they dug him up, he was too rotted to actually tell if it was him, but for some reason, he had, he had weird thumbs. It was like, yeah, that's him. And that's how they found out. Tommy blood. <laughs> yeah. So then his epitaph reads, Here lies the man who boldly hath run through more villainies than England ever knew. And ne'er to any friend he had was true. Here let him then by all unpitied lie. And let's rejoice his time has come to die. So, you know, clearly very loved by the people uh, who buried him. Absolutely. Uh, his descendants became quite distinguished throughout Britain and Ireland. A lot of them became uh, great military heroes mm. in various battles throughout the centuries. And one who is actually uh, Irish is Brian Inglis, you might know. Rings a bell. A famous Mom. journalist, historian and TV presenter. I think, it, yeah, there's definitely something there. Uh, yeah, I, I've kind of, I clicked through to see and he has some quotes on his page and one of them is great on uh, the Irish famine. He says... If the British choose not to consider Ireland part of Britain when such an emergency arose, they could hardly compa- complain if the Irish did likewise. That's very like, true. Fucking great. Just That's wonderful. Good bit. So then the story of Blood's attempt to steal the crown jewels became incredibly famous and has been adapted uh, in multiple works, including movies, books and the board game Outrage, oh. which I hadn't really heard of. But uh, it's a game where you actually attempt to steal the crown jewels. Cool. And uh, it's been referenced multiple times in uh, Sherlock Holmes, the original stories. They did it in the Muppets and uh, in <laughs> David Walliams' children's books. There's one where yeah, there, I think there's the, something about the, that, the grandmother there? tries to steal the crown jewels, and when the Queen is interrogating her after, she cites Thomas Blood being let off as a reason that she should also be let off. And it's like clever man. So thus ends the story of Thomas Blood. 
I do know that the another podcast, I think it's the Irish History podcast, did put out one this week actually about the the this, the robbery of the Irish crown jewels, which is a bit different. Yeah. Uh, that was in like 1907, I think, and it's they've just never been recovered, actually. So give that, give that a listen if you'd like to hear something you about it. Check out your back garden. It might be there. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Up in some granny's attic. She just takes it down once a year and puts on the crown. Oh, God. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we tried something a little bit different today, yeah, guys. Uh, let you... us know what you think. Uh, this was uh, a step out. I planned on doing this earlier on in the week, and then things got a little hectic, and so I ran through it this morning. And uh, we got a good length out of it, I must say. Yep. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to go as long as it did, but it, it came to the, about the usual time, which is good for us. Yeah, I think it was something a bit different. We talked about kind of branching out a bit and kind of talking about Irish people in kind of interesting things in life. Yeah, of course. You know? I mean, like an Irish badass like himself. I mean, I suppose technically you could say Thomas Blood would have probably regarded himself as English. But he was like third generation Irish. I think stage. it's like Anglo Irish yeah. kind of ascendancy is kind of what you'd kind of say. So I think it, it counts. And uh, just what a great story. I mean, the crazy shit that he did in his life leading up to stealing the crown jewels of England and being the most successful attempt, as far as I'm aware anyway. I don't think anyone's ever actually um, stolen them. Not to my knowledge. Yeah, no. he, he's the only one who's actually probably gotten them that far from what we could find, which is a really cool thing. So. Uh, if you have suggestions for other uh, badass people from Irish history that we might do, or maybe events. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty like the Siege of Jadaville. We could do the film and then talk about the historical events. Yeah. That would be kind of interesting. I mean, there's plenty of other people I have in mind. So um, I think we can definitely find out. Yeah, there's there's uh, some crazy stories of Irish people turning up in random places and doing weird and Oh yeah, things. we do a lot of weird stuff. We sure do. It's just like... Oh, but the Orient Irishman was there and the day was saved. Sometimes that just happens. Yeah, so I think maybe Rob might do one next week if you'd like. We might. Um, I was working on the Irish video game characters thing. Yeah, Irish I mean, video you, can games. Either, you can either do that one or if you find a topic that you'd like to do a bit of a report on, we can do that. Yeah, so let's just say next week's episode will be a surprise. Another surprise. Something almost the same as this one, but also different. Yeah, I, I'm probably gonna do it about the video games thing. Like if you Irish, get it enough. <laughs> I'm try. I, I've got some stuff, so I'm gonna try and do it about um, Irish characters and video games, and also video games that are set in Ireland in some capacity, and kind of talk about that a little bit. And I'm, like, gonna throw in like how the Irish video game industry has actually taken off quite a bit in the last few years. Cool. So, uh, we'll play us out. If you can remember, I don't have the thing up. Ah, it's you know, I get the gist of it. Um... <laughs> okay, give us a like. On whatever podcast app you use, five stars would be lovely. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on Spotify, we're on Acast and all the Apple iTunes, well. iTunes um, uh, a few others. Like, yeah, you can find us everywhere there. you can find podcasts. You can, of course. Um, if you have anything you'd like to, any feedback you'd like to give us, you can find us at uh, talking uh, Blarney Pod uh, Twitter. Yeah, at Blarney Pod. At Blarney Pod. And then you can email us at talkingblarneypod at gmail.com as yep, well. We appreciate all feedback, guys. Any suggestions for, you know, we'll do movies, books, we'll do video games now. Yeah. Any kind of interesting stories. Anything really just about kind of perceptions of Irish people, Irish culture in kind of any real media format we'll, we will definitely consider. Yeah, we're all about educating people on Ireland and uh, what it's really like here and yeah. a lot of the cool shit that happens that's true, and I think we—if we, you've any suggestions for like uniquely Irish, if there's something about Ireland that you're, you'd like yeah, to maybe you hear about, question. that's fine. We I can... mean, there's plenty of weird things about Ireland that maybe if you come to this country, like not having any experience of, you'd be like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of that. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, it's goodbye for me. Uh, see you next week. That went well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 